Welcome to another episode of the Mighty Shakers podcast for the fans, by the fans, where everyone's welcome to listen, even Logan Air. Today, we are joined by Hate Hall, Matt Barker, and obviously myself. So obviously, we've just got back from the Isle of Man this weekend. I'm recording this on Tuesday night, and I've just about recovered from uh, my adventures. And Was for it a heavy thought, one? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> For those that don't know, I was on the plane with the players going out. So we circled Isle of Man 10 times, oh came back, God. and then it was a quick taxi from Manchester Airport onto the ferry and then ferry to the Isle of Man. So I made it about six o'clock um, in the evening. But there was a lot of confusion because Logan Air had told the players there were only 15 seats on the plane. Um, that included the fans that had been on that plane as well. And then obviously Isle of Man sent that tweet out saying there was... 22 seats, we kind of, well, I knew for a fact that wasn't true, but luckily the club kind of agreed and, and said it was wrong anyway, so a bit of a travel mayhem, wasn't it? It was, I mean, it was chaos. I didn't go to the Isle of Man and was clearly watching it play out from before the game, seeing that the weather was an issue. Clearly affected people in lots of different ways, didn't it? Like, you were with the players, so went through what they went through, essentially, but all manner of different supporters, some of them completely missing the game because they had, you know, return journeys back before the, the actual game ended up being played. So loads of different things. And I know that clearly people going, oh, you know, can tell us something, tell us something. But I want to say from a communications point of view, in an emergency situation like that, where everything was out of everybody's control, no one can control the weather. I don't think anyone could blame anyone in that situation for a lack of information because it was a live, almost emergency emergency situation wasn't it yeah definitely and, and like I said I was in the middle of it I, there was probably about 20 Bury fans who made that ferry I can't remember what time it was it was like the two o'clock ferry we managed to make it and then we were all really excited we we're all sat having a drink we got a tweet saying game had been cancelled <laughs> so everybody kind of went into a lull and were gutted really and mm. then it came out saying it'd been arranged for 11 o'clock the day after so then it was a proper party atmosphere then on that ferry and it was great that they managed to get it on and once again communication that day I thought bang on for me no problems and yeah, like I said absolutely. it was a, it was an emergency wasn't it and so what well was and... the vibe like over in in the Isle of Man then with, with the fans and stuff oh it was fantastic like I, I came like I said I got there about six o'clock on the Saturday so I missed the Friday night which I believe was a good night as well <laughs> um, yeah I saw I some of... stuff on Twitter <laughs> yeah well I came off the boat and assumed, I soon I must have walked 20 yards. I bumped into Armin, who definitely seen better days. <laughs> and then we went straight into Jack's, watched the end of the City game, had a few beers, and it was great. It was just full of Bury fans. Every Bury shirt you could name was there, drinking with locals. <laughs> it was just a party atmosphere. It was really good. And then at night, 1886 it was called, and we were in there, and literally every there was a live musician on. And any time the music ended. It was just very chance <laughs> while he waited to get the next song out. So 
but it was it was brilliant. And then obviously they came back with the three points, which and the weekend. you know I think you can't understate how amazing that is because if you think about the day before for the players, they would have been up so early to catch the flight that then circled as you've described ten times, sat in an airport for a time, and then you know getting up early again the next morning for another flight, hardly preparation for a game, and to come away with three points after after what had happened that weekend, it really shows the strength of of Dave McNaught's squad and, and, and you know, speaks volumes for them, doesn't it? I, I was sat next to Sam Burns on the way out and Amazing. he was kind of just chatting away and saying they were well up for it. And as we started circling, you could tell straight away the lads were gutted. Like it wasn't, they wanted to play that game of football and, and they were properly gutted. And then coming home, I was, I sat next to Chris Watts. I don't need these, the analysis for the first team. <laughs> that guy, yeah. Yeah, probably chewed his ear off. I bet he was gutted. He wanted a bit of peace. But... <laughs> a quiet journey. <laughs> yeah. I sat and chatted to him and, and he was great. And, you know, he, he spoke about the lads, what, what they'd gone through and just proper hats off to him. We, we spoke about rival fan bases, haven't we, a little bit this season, usually infighting with ourselves, mentioned a few times. But this weekend, I, I didn't see any of it. It was it was proper back being a Bury fan. And it, it, it was, yeah. yeah, it was great. So you went to Starkey's, didn't you? I, I did, yeah. I'd bought, well, weirdly, I'd bought a ticket for the actual game itself months ago, but then my child arrangement, the childcare arrangements changed. So I, I couldn't go as it happened. So I ended up buying a ticket for Starkey's. And then clearly, when the game got called off, that called off. But then, obviously, the next day they were opening it. So I went along to Starkey's and watched it in there. And it was great. Again, yeah, that like everyone in there was talking about the whole debacle of the weekend and how various people and relatives had got stuff, you know, however it had affected them, if they'd missed the game, gone on a ferry or a plane or whatever. Um, and it was just a lovely atmosphere. Certainly, I'm guessing for the guys in like yourself over in the Island Man and as close as, to the players as you were, the bond between players, fans, supporters seems really tight at the moment. That's a lovely, a lovely thing, really. Yeah, and I think the three points definitely helped. So I think I'm not saying it, yeah. it would have been disastrous if they didn't win, but it just kind of unified everyone and and especially yeah. the performance in that second half. The first half was a bit ropey, which is understandable with the travelling. Very, very, very bitty, I thought. Like a lot of breaks in play and referee didn't know favours, but second half. I just thought we were class, like Sam Burns' best game in a Bury shirt for me. I gave him some pointers on the plane over, I think that might have been. <laughs> what, you're responsible? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm claiming the two assists for his goals. Um, <laughs> and then... That's genuine. I thought, yeah, I thought Skaz was class. Jackson yes. was brilliant. Yeah. You know, every single one of them, like, with the fans at the end, proper party atmosphere. And it's just a shame we kind of all had to rush home. And then yeah. I was in the... I was in the airport with the players at the end as well. We were on the same flight back. We got delayed three hours. So we yeah. sat in the airport for three hours. Well, sorry, so, were you saying you were back on the same plane as the players or not? Yeah, so I, I flew back with them as well, just by pot luck. Was it, wasn't there was some issue with a propeller or something? I saw somebody There was a that, problem that... with the, the wheel, apparently. Oh, um, right, yeah, so something needed fixing. It's like so it, that, that just put the cherry on the cake of the chaos of the weekend yeah. <laughs> for the poor players. And the, the hangover had well and truly kicked in by that point. Yeah, I and, bet. and I was sat in this airport, and it's not the biggest airport, as you may know. Yeah. Sat there, all the players, half of them are fast asleep on the floor. The other <laughs> half, they're getting pestered off Berry fans. Even after being delayed for three hours, you could go up to every single one of them, have a chat with them. And they were they were there. 
my mate was sat on the floor watching the United game on his phone. Benito came and sat next to him and, you know, they were both sat around his, his phone watching the United match. So it was a proper, proper nice experience, I found. Lovely. Yeah, it's nice. It feels good on the pitch, most definitely. And, and you know, it's a... It's a nice experience, isn't it, to feel that? Yeah, definitely. We'll look at this weekend's Premier League games later on Five Live Breakfast as well, but we thought we'd check in on Berry FC, whose players are expected to arrive in the Isle of Man this morning after their plane couldn't land yesterday because of fog. It's reported the plane came back to Manchester Airport after an hour of circling and attempting to land. At one point, the club asked fans to give up seats on a flight for players. Some of the fans are already there, so it's all a bit of a mess. Uh, the game is now due to kick off at 11 o'clock this morning. Will Leach and Elliot Seal were on the plane, which came back to Manchester. However, I think Will managed to travel. Are you in the Are you in the Isle of Man, Will? Yes, touched down at about quarter past six yesterday evening. Right, OK. Hello to you, and hello to you as well, Elliot. Uh, nice to have you with us. Right, so talk us through your day. Elliot, what happened? What was going on? This is, this is a league match, wasn't it? Bury against the Isle of Man. Yeah, it was just a standard league match. So, got to Manchester Airport. We were sat on the plane for about an hour. And they told us that the weather wasn't great, so we couldn't set off. Eventually, we set off, circled for probably another 45 minutes to an hour. And then got told that we couldn't even attempt to land in. So came back to Manchester, was told our flight was cancelled from there. Right, OK. What were you being told as to what the players were doing at this time? Did you still think the game was going to be happening without you at that point or not? So it was all up in the air, really. Literally? Uh, it was whether, yeah, it was whether the players could get back or not. So uh, different things were being communicated. I think Will mentioned the ferry to them, but some fans made the way that the players didn't and that. Seems they're now going to this morning. <laughs> so, were yeah. you, so at one point, Will, were you just over there thinking, right, I've made it to the Isle of Man, I tried to fly, I've ended up on on a ferry, but there might not now be a game of football? Yeah, so I, I was on a different flight to Elliot. So I was actually on the flight with the three players. And then we circled the Isle of Man and came back. And when we got off the plane, we had basically a 30-minute window, whether to gamble and get a taxi to Haitian and then the ferry, or kind of wait around and find out what Logan Air was doing. So me and about 20 of the fans, we, we gambled and we jumped in a taxi and got a taxi from Manchester to Haitian and then we jumped on a ferry, not knowing if the game was on. And then when we were on the ferry, the game got called off. It got rearranged at a neutral venue and then we kind of found out that the players were travelling and the game was on this morning. So yeah. in by fact, the time we got to the Isle of Man, it was on. Right, I've just, uh, I've just um, been alerted to a tweet. Berry FC tweeted 10 minutes ago saying the players boarded their flight in Liverpool. So far, so good. We are finally on our way, it says. Kick-off scheduled for 11am. I hope you've got understanding families, both of you. And, and I, I don't know how much... How much does this all cost you, Will? Obviously, like, in the minute, money's a bit too tight to mention, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, the taxi from Haitian to Manchester was about £100. Right. And then the ferry was... £60, so probably all in all the weekends cost me nearly about £500. Let me know. This is good dedication, fellas, I have to say. This is, uh, well, they better get a result now, Elliot. You know, if you get a 5 nil spanking and then you've got to find your way back home. Yeah, so I'm actually at home anyway, so EasyJet, they rearranged my flight for later today. So my alternative was to get a 2am ferry to then get an 8pm ferry back tonight. <sighs> uh, 
which gets me back into Haitian <laughs> after midnight. So it's <laughs> a step too far. We, we, yeah. we took the different decision to Will to, to yeah. come out. Yeah. Because at the time we wasn't sure whether the game was going ahead. As Will mentioned, it was on and off. Yeah. A few yeah, different yeah, yeah. times. Until later on in the evening. I think he probably made a wise decision, but let's uh, let's wait and see. Well, listen, thanks. Enjoy the game, Will. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. Nice one, thank you. That was Will Leach thanks. and Elliot Seal. Will's going to be there. He's going to see it. Elliot will follow it one way or another from uh, from back home. Um, I think Will's was kind of like a like a film. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. That sort of got to get to the Isle of Man. Got to get there one get way or the another. Yeah, get on the ferry, pay the money. I like there was a statement from um, the Isle of Man FC team, and it was saying, as a club, we are sure the island as a whole will feel the same. We're extremely disappointed that the flight that the Berry FC players were on this morning, after circling for nearly an hour and attempting to land, went back to Manchester due to. Mananon's cloak. <laughs> this is in the statement. And then it says... No, you've, you've got your cues for the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yeah, mixed yes, up. What's Mananon's cloak? It says fog in brackets, just to clear that up. And I've been uh, looking into this. Yet yeah, Mananon was the first ruler of the Isle. The Isle uh, of Man. Yeah, back, the in, the, of Man. back in the day. Uh, yeah, exactly. The Isle of Mananon. Man. The cloak is a mythical shroud of mist that Mananon would throw over the island to shroud us from our enemies in times of trouble. Well, that's Berry FC for you. <laughs> so, yeah, excellent. Very good. So we'll start off, Matt. We usually do this for everybody that's new onto the show. Can you tell us your earliest memories of being a Berry fan? First memory was a home game against Chesterfield. Um, I was at primary school and we'd won a five-a-side competition and the prize was tickets for the team to, to go and watch Berry. Um, it was nil-nil, it was raining and yet I caught the bug and just, I kept coming with my best mate and his dad. My family were United fans, so I used to go with my mate and his dad and did that as a child, but then really fell in love with it as a teenager. Um, when you could kind of, you know, go on your own with your mates, like a lot of Berry fans, I think. So you grew up in Berry then? Yeah, I grew up in Hollins, went to Castlebrook and Berry College, married a girl from Berry. Some of your listeners will know uh, Bennett's Butchers. Um, so I married Mr. Bennett's daughter, a uh, lucky guy that I am. That was many years ago, we're still together. Uh, she'll kill me for not knowing when this was, but we've been together for more than 20 years, since we were 19, basically. And I'm, in my, I'm 45 today, so long time. What's your biggest highlight as a Bury fan? Probably those those Stan Turnant years, you know, rising up the league. It was an amazing team, and it was a hell of a ride. I remember being in Ibiza with that same best mate, and we were high up in whatever is now the, what is now the championship. We're 18 turning to him and going, this is as good as it gets, mate, for, in our life, for in every way. Uh, and that was proved right. Sadly, it all ended in tears when we found out what Hugh Eves had been up to. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't enjoy the, the ride. It was an incredible couple of years, that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, a great, it was just a great team. Just so many great, great players. Other days since then, I mean, Chesterfield away, Ryan Lowe, you know, there's been, there's been others, but overall, that's my favourite. And the most recent game, Isle of Man, how does that compare? <laughs> Isle of Man, uh, three words for the Isle of Man. Uh, fun, frustrating and foggy. The three <laughs> We flew out on the Friday 
immediately on Saturday morning, I could see the weather and was like, mm, this is looking dicey. And, and yeah, we had to fly home at quarter past 12 on the Sunday. So I watched the first half on the tarmac on my phone and then got home to, to hear the result, which was a good result. Mm. So frustrating, but you can't legislate for weather. These, you know, these things happen. While we were on the island, we had a great time. The Saturday, although we didn't get to have the game, we got to spend a lot of time with a lot of people, some of which I've known for many, many years and some, frankly, I've never met before. But it was a fun day. Totally worth it. I just wish I just wish I could have seen the match. But there you go. I'm guessing fans were speaking to you at the Isle of Man and I know a few people have had good things to say about you and things like that. But I, I'm also aware that lots of people don't know much about benefactors, who they are. So how come this is your first real time that you're speaking out, your first interview? I don't really like being in the public eye. Um, I'm, I'm quite a private person. I'm not on social media. It's not my... It's not my thing. I had a very, very quiet life before I got involved in, in, in Bury. I have done interviews. I have spoken to people before. I mean, before the merger vote, um, we did Q&As with fans at Gid Lane. And we did a, an impromptu Q&A after the, the SGM. Um, so I'm very happy speaking to people. Um, but typically, I'm not one who wants to be uh, front and centre in, in the press. But today we've got a very extreme situation. I think it's rightly or wrongly, I think it's important to talk to as many Berry fans as possible and let them know what I think, whether they agree, disagree, care, don't know, but at least I will have tried. People will definitely care. I think this is the most interaction we've had with our little podcast so far. When we put it out there that you're coming on and there's definitely a lot of questions <laughs> to ask you as well. <laughs> I'll start off. Um, did did you... um? Were you involved with AFC? Were you a member? Did, did you go and watch them? Uh, yeah, I was I was a member. I joined from the start. I only attended one game, so I can't claim to have been a you know an avid supporter. But I supported the the concept, the importance of having a, a football team in Bury for people to go and watch. We were dealing with a, a very difficult situation. For a lot of people, having no football was was hard, frankly. People's mental health, sense of community, all of that was taking a hit. And also um, I could see the scale of the, the debts that, that Berry FC had. So I could see how unrealistic it was to fix them in the traditional way. In my opinion, there was no white knight just going to turn up and just pay up all those debts. They were, they were far too big. And on top of that, I could also see that the EFL wanted to make an example of somebody in so many clubs on the edge that they kind of wanted to, you know, in my industry, we call the word, put someone down um, just to make a point to all the other teams. Sadly, that was us. So, yeah, so I, so I was a... I was an AFC member. I, as I say, supported supported the concepts. I was. I am aware that by the end of this podcast, I'll probably be disliked by a various range of Berry fans who believe that you know you can't be AFC, you can't be BFCSS, or whatever. Um, I don't go in for any of that nonsense. Frankly, um, we need a United Football Club. I was always very clear with the 1885 guys who I ended up working with that you know I was a member of Berry AFC and the BFCSS board. That I didn't agree with, you know, the them and us approach that some people like to in, indulge in. Frankly, indulge is probably the right word. The reality was different groups were doing different things in a very difficult situation. None of it was any of our doing, any of us. And that was fine, in my opinion. My only other opinion then was eventually we did have to unite. And um, I always felt we needed to recover our home um, because without a home, we could never really prosper. Um, but having done that, if you had any ambition to return to the professional levels, i.e. the EFL, then we had to be a United Football Club. And that's that's everybody. 
you've sort of touched on it there, like it affected us all and we all dealt with it differently, didn't we? And I think we've all collectively been through a massive grieving session. We've just dealt with it differently. And and here we are today trying to go forward in a positive way. Just on, on you then, are we allowed to know much more about you, what your day job is, that kind of thing? Yeah, I thought, I thought this question might come up. It used to with the S1885 guys. My my job's a bit unusual. I'm I'm essentially a, a debt collector for large corporate debts that are secured on commercial properties. For example, offices, shopping centres, hotels, industrial buildings, basically those big, big loans that you might read about in the Financial Times. When they go wrong, my job is to try and unpick that situation. I did it for Nationwide Building Society for 13 years um, and now I do it for a large American company. It's a job that gives me a a lot of experience as to what can go wrong, what the warning signs are to look out for and how to deal with them. It means I'm, I'm involved in lots of difficult and complex situations where things have gone badly wrong, people are severely affected. So I'm I'm kind of pretty experienced in how you you deal with that. So it's an odd, it's a bit of an odd job. It's a bit unusual. My own friends, my own wife kind of says, I don't really know what he does for a living. But I've been doing it for a long time now. I'm reasonably good at it. And the skills that I've acquired along the way meant it was kind of ideal for the situation that Barry was in, where we had a, you know, we had an administrator, we had a stadium in, in administration, we had a very complex mortgage situation, a complex car park situation, and it all needed some sort of unwinding. It needed significant financing, bringing in. I had some skills to help with that. So was it just money that you gave or no. suppose it was your expertise? And... It, was, it was a bit of both. So yes, there was some money, but I dealt with the administrator. So the negotiations with, with him, I've dealt with administrators for 18 years now. I wrote the grant application, uh, helped write the grant application. It was a team effort, to be fair, that uh, we were rejected the first time. So we had to rewrite it. So that was a bit of a challenge. And then I worked with the civil service um, in terms of the, the grant process and then ultimately ended up negotiating with the mortgage holder who was based in Malta. Um, so I had to, yeah, oh, I had to trace that whole web of who owned what and who had what mortgages. It was a it was a mess, frankly. And I had to trace all the way that all the way back to finally get to speak directly to the decision maker so that we could get the deal done. Uh, because going via the administrator was never gonna was never gonna get us there. I worked with James Daly, who I should mention um, was was crucial to this. I said before it was a team. He was massive in that team. Without him navigating us through the government, well, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. Um, so yeah, some expertise and some money. You mentioned briefly there money. Can you define to us exactly what a benefactor is? And what do you have to do with Bury FC? Are you all Bury fans? Are there some not Bury fans? We're all Bury fans. Um, so a benefactor, in, in simple terms, is somebody who wants to put in their savings into a football club because they believe that a community asset is in the best interest and a successful football club is in the best interest of the town. Okay, All the benefactors we have today are lifelong Bury fans. End of story uh, on that on that front. What what a benefactor! And those are people that appreciate they will never get that money back, most likely. Yeah, it's highly unlikely they're ever going to get it back. But there is a distinct difference between saying I'm never going to get it back and I don't care about how it's used or spent or put at risk. We want to make sure that money is there and, and safe forever. We've failed twice in my lifetime. We can't solve this a third time. 
there won't be a kind of another go at this. So yes, it, it, it's someone that wants to put some money in, but wants some stewardship, some involvement in just generally making sure are we taking it easy? We're not gambling rec- recklessly. We're not doing anything silly that is going to put the whole kind of operation at risk. A lot of people have said we're investors. I'll deal with that if that's okay. I'd love to see, I'd love somebody to explain to me what the investment model is in lone league football, where you make a profit. I'd love somebody to point me to anyone who is legitimately making money out of lower league football. The only people that are taking money out of lower league football are the kind of rogue owners that we've had with Day and Dale that, you know, get involved in a club, layer the debts on and take the money out the side door. That's the only way you make money in lower league football. None of us are doing that. None of us can do that. None of us ever would do that. We're benefactors because we've contributed our savings to the future prosperity of Berry Football Club forever. I don't like talking about this type of thing, but can you clarify how much of your savings or how much you've given or how much as a collective you benefactors have, have given? Collectively, it's over 740,000. That's in, in pure capital terms. There's been other, there's been other payments um, for uh, additional legal stuff, you know, five grand understanding the car park at the very outset of this and uh, some additional money able to uh, sit on lawnmower in the auction because the administrator wouldn't sell it to us. That was an expensive Friday afternoon. But yeah, so collectively it's, it's north of 740,000. Personally, it's north of 100,000. So it's it's a lot of money, frankly, that's been hard to earn over the years. Um, but it's been given willingly. It's been given to, to unite a football club and a community and, and build something better. And as I say, that's because it is a lot of money. Uh, it's not something we're, we're relaxed about being put at risk. And all the money was matched by the government at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, so the government the government matched most of it. I think we've drawn about 700,000 from the government. Um, there were certain elements that couldn't be matched. There's rules within the, the grants as to what can and can't be matched. That's not a criticism. That's, that's just how the rules work. And the remainder of what's not been drawn by the government, so three hundred thousand, is available to draw and draw as far as I know. But no, the government the government matched virtually all of it. And you know, again, without the government, we would not be here today having this conversation. We could not have recovered Gibb Lane without them. I don't know if I know you said you went on social media before, uh, Matt. But what we did, we opened it up for people to send in questions uh, on social media across various platforms. A lot of difference of opinions have come in. Some questions have come in. This one's off social media. It says, if benefactors have put in £750,000 of the promised £1 million, should they not be entitled to at least 36.75% club for now? Why is it all or nothing? It's a fair question. I understand why it would be raised. It's a function of the ownership structure that we have in place. So if we had a company limited by shares, and apologies if some of what we talk about on this uh, podcast is a bit technical, but... If it's a company limited by shares, then yes, you can make those kind of percentage splits based on, on what money's gone in. But we don't have that. We have a company limited by guarantee. And what that means is it just has two members. So those two members are the supporter society and the benefactors. What that means is if you've only got two, it's 50-50. And within the constitution, what we then have is the rules that say the supporter society has the casting vote on virtually all matters. There's only the three articles, three items at the end of the articles of association that we have any blocking rights. No debt, no transfer of assets, no taking profits out. 
that's the structure that DLUC insisted, sorry, DLUC Department of Leveling Up Homes and Community, they're the people we got the grant from, that's what they insisted upon to, to adhere to policy. Originally, we did have a company limited by shares, the reference at the beginning, but DLUC said, no way, won't let you do it because a company limited by shares doesn't have the same protections in it. So they insisted during the legal process, we set up a new company and do it in that way. It was time consuming, but actually, in the end, I think it's a good structure because it builds in the control. It stops people buying and selling shares easily. It stops anyone getting diluted. stops any circumstance where somehow, you know, benefactors might somehow dilute the supporter society interest. If you thought if it was just pure shares, theoretically, some of the support society could sell their shares to to anybody else it could sell them to me, it could sell them to whoever. And suddenly the sports society has gone from 50% to 10% or 20% or whatever. So it casts in stone, it's 50-50, and the support of society has the casting vote on virtually all matters. It sounds like that would be insisted upon to protect, presumably, plans for a community asset, I guess. Yeah, exactly that. It's a community asset. The government were very clear this is the policy. We're not giving you the money unless it's absolutely, you know, copper bond protected. Whilst it was hard work making the changes and convincing the administrator to make the changes, because we'd said we were buying with one company and we're now buying with a different company. I understand why they had to do or why they insisted on that. And in the long run, they were right. You mentioned they're protecting the community asset. Um, what exactly are the dangers to the community asset to, to protect it from? Someone putting debt on it. It's the same problem as um, we had today and and previously. If someone has, if you have without the protections, someone can load debt onto the stadium. And then when you can't service your debt, you go bust. And then a debt collector comes along and they sell it because they have, because that's their job. If you look at any football club that is in financial difficulty, it's always debt. You don't get into financial difficulty if you're equity funded because you might get relegated. You might not have a competitive team. You might not have the players that you would like and blah, blah, blah. But you can pay your debts, as in you can pay your bills as they fold you. If you're servicing debt, that means you've got interest. Interest rates on a football club are high because it's a very high risk category, you know. And even if they were not high, compound interest kills you. Warren Buffett, one of the most successful men in the world financially, calls compound interest the eighth wonder of the world because it goes on top of it and top of it and top of it. And before you know it, you've lost control of it and you can never repay it. And that's exactly what happened when we failed on the day. The debt, the actual amount of money that the club drew as debt was tiny, really. It was the debt. The interest on the debt was going up and up and up Whatever percentage rate they had, it was a crazy number. Before you know it, it's out of control. People putting debt onto the football club, the ability to sell it to somebody else, you know, so who knows who might come in. You you referenced before about, you know, people getting involved that shouldn't be involved. Um, It's, yeah. But ultimately, for me, the number one thing is never having debt. One of the other questions that we've had sent in was to do with certain fans and members who thought we were going to go ahead with a 51%, 49% model. Apparently then, obviously, an email went around saying it was a 100% fan-owned 
thing because the benefactors haven't given any more money. Was that the case from a benefactor's perspective? All right. Now we're getting into the the meat of things. Um, so this is this is the interesting part, in my opinion. We've got to rewind a little bit to for me to explain this in in full. If I take you back to kind of the end of April 2023, we were towards the end of what ended up being uh, Dan Bowerbank's tenure in charge of BFCSS, as it was at the time. We were moving towards the merger vote. Benefactors were getting increasingly frustrated and angry that some of those board members in BFCSS were still not backing a merger. So we were very, very frustrated at that because we could see that cash flow insolvency was very much on the horizon. So we tried to reassure those um, those board members that if the merger passed, we would then have an interim board. That would be more inclusive, more professional, you know, would work, we'd all work better together. Okay. Thankfully, it did pass, so we were we were happy about that. But then what we quickly found was that the representatives from Berry AFC didn't really want to engage. Mr. Young didn't want to at all, I'm afraid. John Woodhead and, and Rod Peters, to be fair, did attend some board meetings, but they, they read prepared statements. They took notes, but they didn't really offer opinions, very few, um, and they didn't take an active involvement. And then on the 25th of May, that same month, so 20 days after the merger vote passed, John Woodhead presented us with a 30-year lease that he wanted us to sign to the football club company. No real explanation why, other than we have to do it for the FA, because we have to show security of tenure. And just to explain security of tenure, security of tenure means you know you have control of the, the place that you're going to play football. This seemed very odd to me, because we own the stadium freehold, so why would you need a lease? When you own the stadium freehold, freehold is far better than a lease. I was told if we don't if we don't sign something now, then we won't be able to play a gig lane this current season. Um, so the pressure was very much on to try and solve this problem and deal with this. We agreed to to a twelve months license as a short term solution. It seemed odd to me, but you trust people that it's just part of the getting to know you phase, and that you know eventually we'll build the trust, we'll unify, and, and everything will be okay. Um, so. The important thing there is people think this lease is a is a new thing. It's a new concept that's just come about now because of a 3G pitch. It's somehow linked to the benefactors not putting the money in. This predates all of that. And what we've learned from today's FSSB statement is that the plan was always to have a 30-year lease. We didn't know that. It wasn't in any of the merger paperwork, but the plan apparently was always to have a 30-year lease. And throughout all our experience in this whole process, it's been whatever the situation, the response has always been, we just want a lease. So moving slightly forward then, having signed the license, a message was passed to us that if the remaining funds weren't handed over by the end of July, then the transfer of the club, the football club company into one united group was was off. Bear in mind at this point, our experience has been, we can't engage with these people. They won't attend the meetings. They won't talk to us. Um, they won't engage with the BFCSS team either. We could see we're also trying to, to build those bridges. Uh, now that we had the, this deadline invented that said, if you don't pay by this date, the deal's off. I've been back through all the merger paperwork. There is no such deadline in that paperwork. If anybody out there can can find that deadline, be delighted to read it. It doesn't exist. It was a unilateral decision. So... We're in a situation then where we've got people who won't talk to us, all work with us, 
who are demanding the money and then just leave it to them. Give them a lease and, and we step away. If you put 740,000 in, just keeping your fingers crossed and trusting that everything's okay isn't tenable, I'm afraid. And it isn't tenable to ask people to put their hand in the pocket and put more money in. So by this point, we're now into kind of July, August, and then September when that statement did come, finally come out. I'm afraid that the trust and the relationship had broken and we've been in that kind of pattern or structure ever since. We've tried to fix it on multiple times. We've, we've, we've reached out respectfully and, and asked for meetings, face-to-face meetings, sit-down meetings, get around the table. All roads ultimately lead to we just want to lease. And that's what kind of brings us to where we are today, where the 3G pitch is used as the the latest in a long line of reasons why we have to have a lease. What's the problem with a lease? The problem with a lease is all the protections I described around not transferring the asset, not taking them on debt, not uh, distributing profits are removed when a lease is in place. Because what you're doing is you're transferring the asset to a different company Okay, and then that company is free to do whatever it wants with that asset. And when I say asset, I mean the stadium. Okay, so the first thing we're doing, if this lease happens, the first thing that is happening is a grant is being taken from the council and a charge put on the stadium. Okay, now I support a grant from the council. We started that process. We did the original application in 2022, but we've set the precedent that whoever is running the supporter society can go out and get any other grant, debt, whatever, and there's no protection in the company that has the lease for them doing that. Again, again, whatever. Equally, that same company, if it wants to, can distribute profits. It's a company limited by shares, so it can bring in other owners into that company. Currently, the supporter society owns 100% of it today, But who knows what somebody might do in the future to dilute that. And I'm not suggesting by any means this is the intention of the current board. Okay. What I'm saying is none of us know who will be running that supporter society in five years time, three years time, 10 years time. This is a 30 year lease that's being proposed. We don't know any of us. Who will be running it? We don't know what their motivations are, what their capabilities will be. So we could end up with someone just recklessly gambling to try and get us up the football league. One option. We could end up with someone with, you know, really evil, I'll call it, motivations where they want to do another Stuart Day. All of these things are possible. And we've given away all those protections for a lease that we don't need. In the current structure that we have, we bought the stadium with deluxe help without any need for a lease. If the council wants to put a grant in, they can do that in exactly the same way we did the acquisition. Nothing needs to change. The money is going into the stadium to improve the pitch, to improve whatever. It's all going into the stadium. It's not going to the football team. So why put a lease in place to then receive the money, to then put the money into the stadium? Makes no sense. Just go straight and you keep all the protections at the same time. I've seen, obviously, the frequently asked questions that were um, sent Mm -hmm. to members this morning, sort of explaining that a lease was necessary and that a lease wouldn't change ownership, is how it was phrased. 
but you're telling us here that that's not I'm, I'm telling you categorically a lease is not necessary number one number two people don't read these things i'm afraid but the articles don't say don't mention the word ownership the articles and i've got i've got them here somewhere but the articles say uh, the company shall not transfer any of its assets that's specifically what it says okay if i put a lease in place you are transferring that asset for a period of time okay i know some of this might be a bit technical but i can't explain that in any simpler form and i know it, i'm pleased with this statement that came out today because it's interesting what's what's in there DLUC, department of leveling up homes and communities and the council never required a lease in the past they don't require a lease now they've been convinced that a lease is a good idea i don't think they've had good legal advice they've certainly never shared it with us i'm pleased that this uh, frequently asked questions does include the legal advice that the supporter society has taken because I've seen that legal advice before because it was presented to us as the basis as why this is fine. So you then, if you're a boring person like me, you then start diligencing that information. I can't help myself. Uh, so you then look at, well, who's this independent legal advice from? Oh, it's from a company or a law firm called Schofield Sweeney. Okay, well, who are they? I've never heard of them, but, you know, maybe they're preeminent in this field. They're a regional firm in Yorkshire. That's interesting. Anyone we know that used to work for that company? Oh, uh, John Woodhead used to work for that company. Okay, that's independent legal advice. But, you know, maybe their legal advice is right. Just because there's that previous relationship doesn't mean it's bad advice. Uh, so we took that advice to our own lawyers, our own lawyers, firm in Manchester, leading firm called Glaciers. They said, we disagree with this advice completely. But the legal process in these situations is you could have two law firms arguing back and forth on points. The law is not black and white. That's why lawyers make so much money, frankly. But the, the, what you do in that situation before you go to court is you go and get what's called a counsel opinion. Okay, so you get a barrister. So we engaged with uh, a gentleman called Brad Pomfret, who's a King's Council. So King's Council is like the most senior kind of council you can have uh, for him to, to give his his opinions on, on what's here. And again, he agreed with us entirely that this is clearly a, a breach of the, of the articles of the company. And we put this in writing to the society members who are actually on the stadium company board. We've put in great detail, it's a, it's a four-page Four-page letter I have I have here, but in essence, they're, they're entirely in agreement with us. I could read extracts from it, but it essentially says, the creation of a leasehold interest in the stadium in favour of a third party divests the company of that part of the property. It transfers the company's rights of use and occupation of the stadium, which is an asset, to a third party for the duration of the lease. It is therefore in breach of Article 41. They've got their legal advice, we've got ours. Do I trust a regional firm or do I trust a leading King's Council? I'm confident I know who would win. As I said at the beginning, it's it's at the most basic level, it's a transfer of the asset. I'll put this in a simple analogy. If you came home and your partner said to you, oh, by the way, I've transferred your interest in the house to somebody else, you'd say, what the hell are you doing? And they said, oh, no, it's okay. You get it back in 30 years' time and... The mortgage providers agreed to it, in this case, the government. Uh, so you've got nothing to worry about. 
I think most people would say, no, that's that's not right. We, we own this jointly and you've just given it to somebody else. The fact that you have a relationship with whoever that person is doesn't mean it's right for me. If you think that through logically, the UK divorce courts would fall apart because everyone would do it. And as I say, I started, I've spent 13 years at Nationwide Building Society. I started doing, you know, basic residential mortgage arrears. So I know that how all that works. No mortgage provider of any bank would ever give that kind of consent. And I'm afraid that the look and to a degree the council have found themselves in the middle of this. I don't think they fully understand it. I desperately hope we can we can kind of stop this and, and get back to trying to find the football club. We're obviously at a bit of an impasse now, aren't we, between both societies. Um, one of the questions off social media was why not just pay the remaining money and the issue would end? It's a fair question. Sadly, we're, we're past that point, um, I'm afraid. There's no trust. There's no relationship. My position as we sit here today is we shouldn't change the structure at all today. We shouldn't force through what was originally agreed. And I'm not pushing for that. Never have, well, haven't been for a long time now. Um, because as was made clear in the statement issued today, even if we put the money in, they still would do a lease. It's, I mean, that's mm. explicitly in, it's explicitly in, explicitly in the statement issues today. Yes. Yes, if ownership of the club had changed and the benefactors had put, prom- put the money promised in, we would still need a lease or similar. They'd still be doing this. Okay, it's not about the money, I'm afraid. It's about removing us from being involved in the process. They don't want us sat in the room. So my recommendation, for what it's worth, is we drop this whole lease conversation. We go ahead with the funding from the council, which we can, in the same way we did on the original acquisition. Okay, and then we spend the next period of time, and I don't want to put a specific timeline on that, but just working together, unifying as a board in the way that most fans have, I think. Frankly, the fans pulls to shame. The fans, you know, people worried about, oh, they're all going to be fighting in the stands and what have you. There's been the odd flashpoint, but not really. It's the board that's not unified. So we spend however long actually working together, valuing each other, respecting each other, doing the capex works that we all, sorry, capital expenditure works that we all think are, a good and worthwhile, a 3G pitch. And then at some point in the future, when the time is right, then the money can go in. Then we can change the structure. But we do it when we all trust each other and respect each other. Right now, that's not the case. Another question that was on social media said something like, can the funds not be placed in, is it escrow? Which I think is um, a type of holding, isn't it, where money can't It's a holding yeah, it's a holding bank account. And I've had this, I have had this conversation with Phil, actually, Phil Young. Ultimately, it doesn't really achieve anything. We put some money there, but then it can't be spent, it can't be used. And we're still back to the same problem of are we trusting each other? Are we working together, etc. We can evidence, you know, the money in it if it's 260,000 remaining. We can evidence that in a bank account, but putting it in an escrow account for some undetermined period of time it doesn't get us anywhere what we have to get to is a proper working relationship and then we actually fund when we need it and in the meantime we don't need the money because dealer money is there the council money is there all the things that are wanted to be done now can be done from the funding that is available the only thing that needs to change is 
we do it without a lease. I don't know if you speak for all benefactors. Are you saying that if the lease is there, then the full merge won't happen? If the lease is away, we're ready to go? No, sorry, I'm saying if the lease is there, if the lease is somehow forced through, and by forced through, I mean they just unilaterally and, in my opinion, unlawfully sign it, then we're into a, the whole messy legal situation, frankly. If the lease is dropped, okay, we don't need to put the benefactor money in at this point, and I don't think it's right to put the benefactor money in, and I don't think it's right to do the merger because we need a proper working relationship. What I'm saying is we don't need the lease to take the council money and the government grant money and do the pressing thing, which is pressing, is to do the 3G pitch. Now, the 3G pitch is pressing, frankly, because the support society have run the clock down. We've been pushing for this since May last year. We've been, we got the original quotes for the pitch with the help of Mike Goodyear. We've been asking, come on, we've got this deal of money to spend. Let's get on with the CapEx program. We've been ignored. So we wrote some options. We provided that. We got nothing back. And now, you know, to give you, to give you an illustration of the timeline, on Friday at 8 a.m., having heard nothing on this for three months, we're suddenly told you need to sign a lease by Monday or agree to a lease by Monday because otherwise we're going to lose the 3D pitch. It was Friday. I was on the way to the Isle of Man by this point. And, and this is after I've been regularly going back saying, what's happening? Have we dropped this lease point? Has DLUC commented? Has the council commented? Can we, can we work together? Radio silence until suddenly it's got to be done in one business day. So you're saying there's a lack of communication then from the board? Oh, the board don't want to talk to us. Yeah, since the election in, what was that, October, November time? October, I think it was. We've had two board meetings. The first one, they want to talk about the lease. We didn't agree on that. But we did have an otherwise full agenda that we worked through and actually was constructive and positive. Um, we agreed on pretty much every topic because it was operational. How do we run a stadium? What do we do? You know, it was all you know, staffing. Uh, finance, insurance, whatever. It was good. It was productive. I sent them all an email afterwards thanking them that with that one exception of the lease, good first meeting, pleased. Second meeting, they only wanted to talk about the lease when we refused to agree to that and explain why they can't pass it without our consent. They ended the meeting. Since then, that was that was back end of November, I think. Since then, all attempts for a further board meeting have been refused. Um, we've tried time and time again, not just me, other board, other benefactors. This week on Thursday, we have, finally do have a board meeting scheduled until this morning when, given the current conflict going on, they've cancelled the board meeting. So those two meetings you're referring to, were the full board there in the chair? No, no, no. So, and they shouldn't be. The, it, was, it was the four representatives that had been appointed to the stadium board company from the society. So that's John Woodhead. Marcel Dematis, Ian Pearson, and Darren Bernstein. Um, and then on the benefactor side, you had myself, uh, Ian Harrop, and David Manchester. The board makeup is four from support of society, three from benefactors. Is the lease, is it not considered like normal business practice? I know you've kind of just explained it in if I came home, my missus had, <laughs> had done it to me, but is it not common business practice for companies to have a lease? If you're if a landowner or a property owner and you don't want to use your property, then yes, you can lease it to a third party and earn an income from it. That's not the situation we have here. We bought a stadium through a company that was intended to be the custodian of that stadium. 
Its sole purpose for existing was to protect that stadium forever. It's the only reason it exists as a company. And less than two years, because it is two, just under two years since we bought it, the proposal is to transfer it to a company with none of those protections. It's madness, in my opinion. So as a benefactor, what do you want? How do you see a way past this? What do I want is, as I say, I want I want this lease point to be dropped. I want us to to work on on DLUC funding, on council grant funding, to actually have a proper relationship where we are able to talk to the stadium board company, to talk to Mr. Young, who doesn't want to talk to us, but ultimately is the intellectual brains behind the supporter society, and, and to build a build a proper relationship. But this lease point has to be dropped, and it can be dropped instantly. DLUC can drop it, the council can drop it, state society can drop it. The only thing remaining then that they'll point to is, well, the FA need it. Well, a couple of things on that. One, we've managed this season with a licence, no problem. We can keep extending that licence every year. The society has that within its power. It can extend the existing licence every year. So that protection is there. And two, frankly, my experience of the FA is they make up the rules as they go along. They're the bottom of my list of institutions that I really pay much attention to. We've had a question coming off social media, and it's um, you put forward a presentation with a proposed structure where the benefactors co-own the stadium, but the club was 100% owned by the society. Presumably, you're not against that structure, given it was your idea. (laughs) It's an interesting question, that, and I'll explain why. Right in the early stages of this whole process, I did once send a structure chart to Phil that contained that error. Okay. I got it wrong. I I don't know how many things had going on at the same time. I sent it across. We were still in the negotiation phase. I spoke to the other benefactors. They pointed out the error uh, and then we rectified it. It was never part of any formal proposal, but it's interesting how certain things leak when it suits. And that's what that is. Somebody chose to leak it, and now apparently that was something I agreed with. Now, to be clear, that's actually the structure we've ended up with today. Okay, So today, the football club company is owned 100% by the supporters' society. The stadium is owned 50-50. I hope what you've, you've heard from me is, I don't like that structure, but it's okay for now. It's okay while we all work together and build a unified club, and then... You know, long term, if we can improve it, great. A lease is not that. A lease is transferring, <laughs> transferring. Not only do the, does the society own the football club, the society controls completely the stadium for at least 30 years. I mean, just to put 30 years into context, most of the benefactors, I would say, or the majority of benefactors will be dead by the end of that period. It's a horrible thing to say. But that's the reality of how time works. 30 years is a very, very long time. I'll be long retired, probably won't still have my marbles by that point. This is not a short-term thing. Kind of follow the social media question and mentioning that. And it says, obviously, you mentioned when benefactors pass away, where would their share go? And would it stay protected against being sold slash passed to someone who isn't a Bury fan who has good intentions? The short answer to that question is... It passes to their heirs or whoever they nominate in their will. Okay. There's two main protections to that. Firstly, the support society will always have the casting vote, will always own the 
this comes all the way back, I think, to one of the very first questions around shareholdings. So whoever owns it can never force anything through that the support of society doesn't want. As benefactors, we cannot force anything through. All we can do is block things, a very few number of things, three things, that we think are, are reckless or, or ill-advised. So, Just go over what they are for people. No transfer of the asset, no debt, no distribution of profits. That's it. Anything else the support of society wants to do, it can do and has done since the election happened. There's things I've agreed with, things I've not agreed with. It doesn't ultimately matter what I or the other benefactors think. We don't have any power to block it. All we have is those three, what I'll call doomsday protections. So first, so number one, society will always have that control. Number two, you've got a range of benefactors, different ages, different interests, you know, the quantum of their interest is different, but no one owns 50%, as in there's no one person owning the whole of the other side of the equation, if you understand me. It's going to be a very weird turn of events where we all die at the same time and we all pass it to some rogue individual who's got evil intentions. Personally, I don't have any children. My interest will probably go to someone in my family or friends who I think has got Barry's best interests at heart and has got a good skill set to, to be involved. Whether they'll want it is a, it's another matter because it is a headache. And, you know, again, look at all the other benefactors. They're all lifelong Barry fans. Why would any of them want to pass it to somebody that, or to, to, to leave it in their will to somebody they think is, is dangerous? I don't think it can ever happen. And even if that did happen, the support of society remains in complete control. Matt, I think a lot of people don't know who the benefactors are. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been a lot of talk that I've seen earlier today on social media about the potential to have an open forum with benefactors board. Would the benefactors be happy to do that and sort of talk about who they are to reassure people who have concerns about who they are, what their motives are? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't sit here and guarantee that everyone will be there, every, all of them. Pete is in America. That's well known, I think, by most of the fan base. Uh, others, frankly, don't want to be in the public eye. I didn't really, but I would be there, and I'm sure there'd be a decent number that would would attend. We'd love to have that kind of open conversation. We've proposed it in the past. It's never been an appetite. Got a very specific question from Facebook. It says, did you quote Joe Seely £2 a share to buy in when your shares cost one pound per share if so why <laughs> amazing where some of these come from so i did receive an unsolicited call from uh, mr seeley so joe seeley is les seeley's son uh, i learned on the call and his wife was on the call as well uh, she's involved in reality tv she you told me i don't know what but take her in a word the call frankly was, was quite odd it struck me as a fishing trip you know again in my line of work I get those kind of random calls where people just want to try and extract information from you. But as I said earlier, happy to talk to anybody. They said they wanted to buy the whole club uh, and pump in loads of investment. It all seemed very fanciful. What I said was if you want to buy the whole club, they'd also need to buy out the supporters. I thought it was highly unlikely the supporters would sell, but I'm not part of the society board. I can't speak on their behalf. It would seem like a crazy gamble to me. Uh, but I said they need to speak to, to Phil Young as the, as the chair of the Supporters Society. I certainly didn't quote a price 
um, for that. I did tell them what we paid for the stadium because that's on the land registry. That's in the in the public domain, so they can find that out themselves. I did say, look, if you want to make an offer, I'm sure people would look at it with an open mind. But ultimately, I don't think anybody anybody is looking to sell supporters or benefactors. I didn't think I'd hear from them ever again. And guess what? I never have. Okay, well, the, the statement released by benefactors this week mentions this is another one off social media. Chairman Phil Young on many occasions. Is he solely responsible for not engaging with you? I don't know about solely responsible. That's, a, that's quite a specific phrase, but... Look, Phil, Phil Young is the leader of the Sports Society. He's the chair. He was the chair of Berry AFC. He sets the tone. He is the leader. I've worked on this kind of overall project for nearly three years now, um, and I've dealt with Phil for two and a half years of that process. He is the main man. He's a smart man. He's sophisticated. He's experienced. He is the person we have to deal with. But post-election, he's chosen not to. He's not on the stadium board. I mentioned before around, you know, who was at those board meetings. He's not on the stadium board. I don't think that's an accident. He, he leaves it to other people. And so instead, we've worked with with John Woodhead, Marcel, Ian Pearson and, and Darren Bernstein. They're nice people, I'm sure. John's a lawyer, so he, he has skills. Um, I voted for John in the election. I don't know if he knows that, but I did because I think it's useful to have a to have a lawyer. But what we've experienced at the two board meetings that we've had is they come they read a prepared script we ask them questions and then the answers they give show us they either don't understand what is happening or they just say we need to take it away and speak to phil so many questions just end up in that kind of cul-de-sac that was the same in the interim board when when john and rod came they would read they read from a script they take notes but when you ever ask for anything you know, their opinion or anything specific. John would give some opinions, but it was limited. But otherwise, they would take it away to fill. Some of your listeners might have attended the SGM, Special General Meeting. I mean, that was what happened there. For yeah, some I people, did attend that, yeah. For some people, it was shocking. It wasn't shocking to me. <laughs> it was like, this is it. This is how it works. It was exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah, he had a nameplate up wasn't there but I was under the impression that Rod Peters thought he was going to attend when I first attended I was dubious but I think they I don't know I don't know one way or the other all I know is that's how the board meetings and the interactions work whatever it is ultimately they have to go back to Phil I'm not criticizing them for that these are complicated matters okay and if you don't have personal experience and you're not knowledgeable in it then it's very hard to be in those situations and be questioned frankly, by people that have got some experience of it. I've got experience of it. Ian Harrop has, David Manchester. So they're, they're getting tough questions that they can't answer. They're being placed in a situation, frankly, they, that is unfair and inappropriate. So we've wanted to speak to Phil because, you know, that's the person with the experience, with the knowledge, that hopefully we would try and find a solution. But we've not been able to. The Supporters Society statement this week said that benefactors were the only ones against the lease at board level. Is that your understanding? I don't know, to be honest. I'm not on the Support Society board. I'm not at those meetings. I'm not privy to it. So I, I can think of a couple of individuals that, that might have a different opinion, but it wouldn't be my place to speak on their behalf. Like I say, I'm, I'm not there, so I can't comment one way or the other. One of social media says... Um, 
Did you terminate Jane Murray's contract? And if so, why? Okay, <laughs> all the easy questions. So yeah, so the termination of Jamie's contract, um, that was taken by the society board. As I said earlier, the society board has the power to decide whatever it wants. You know, Jamie's contract is not one of the three things that we're, we're involved in. Um, so it was taken by the society board. It was ratified by the stadium board. And let's be clear, it's a decision I support for what it's worth. Jamie did some superb work for the club. His effort was incredible. I think he knows, I personally appreciate that. I hope he does. But Jamie also did some things that made his position untenable. And again, I think he knows that because I explained it to him at the time. That was the decision that was made by both boards. But then somebody has to actually do the difficult job of terminating the contract. Paul's board were very keen on the decision to terminate, but actually doing the deed is a, is an uncomfortable process. As I've said, I think right at the very beginning, I deal with difficult processes on a regular basis. I also believe in human decency. Um, so yes, I, I spoke to Jamie. I explained the situation. He was entirely professional about it. Um, and yes, I, I cancelled his contract and I, I thanked him for his effort. And then since then, Stuart and Ben and, and all the volunteers have done a great job, frankly, in trying circumstances because their board is not united. But all credit to them. I'm, I'm very appreciative. They've done, like I say, a very, very good job. What are your thoughts on fan ownership? Fan ownership. I mean, we are fan owned today. 100%. People forget this. <laughs> all the benefactors are fans. So... We are fan-owned today, uh, but I think your question is, uh, might be wrong, but I think your question is, would we be better if we didn't have the outside capital, if we didn't have somebody putting the money in? I think that's what we mean. The simple answer is no. We would not have recovered Gig Lane, not debate. Bury AFC would not have built their own stadium. I've read the feasibility study in full, again, because I'm that kind of boring old fart. By their own measure, it costs 30 plus million pounds. And that's before you move the road and rehouse the athletics track. If anybody seriously thinks Berry is about to find 30 million for a new football stadium when there was one less than a mile away down the road, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. So we needed that capital for Berry Football Club, whether it's Berry AFC or some other team, whatever becomes Berry Football Club or has become Berry Football Club, to have its own home, it needed that capital. Fan ownership's great. But it has to include professionalism, expertise, and leadership. And if you're going to be ambitious, you need commercialism as well. If you're happy muddling along, flatlining like FC United have done, then we can carry on as we are today with a divided board and lots of infighting. Or we can unite and, and aspire for more. I know which which is my preference. I spoke at length on, on the podcast, really, about what we've been through as a fan base, all of us, and how we've dealt with it differently. We all went through pain from losing our club, but we find ourselves here. I remember going to our first game that now doesn't count and being overjoyed that I was experiencing what I'd lost for four years. We're now at a point where I think we've got a big responsibility to do this properly. So I think the board have got a responsibility to do it properly and to be inclusive for all fans, no matter what they did, no matter whether they watched AFC, whether they didn't, whether they're watching us now or whether they've fallen away because they're not entirely happy with things. They all lost their club, but they should all be part of the future from my point of view. Everyone should work together. And it shouldn't be that difficult because you can't go backwards. You can only go forwards. It's not. I don't I don't think it is that difficult. 
one of my best friends is a Reading fan. He's like, what the hell are you lot doing? He's like, are you mad? You just believe, he's like, do you know the state we're in? You've come out the other side and you're just fighting amongst yourselves. I don't think there's anything like it in the world, is there? To be honest, I, I, I'm saying I speak to friends and and they're just they just don't get it. I'm at the stage now where, to be honest, I, I don't get it. I just communication is the key, isn't it? And I, I've kind of banged the drum on social media, and I know I'm just one voice, but communication for me, it's just the be all and end all. And if the communication isn't happening, then nothing's going to happen, is it? Which is which is basically what you've said. That's why I drove up for the SGM. Knew exactly how it was going to go, but I was like, there's going to be lots of Berry fans together, the border there. Maybe, maybe there'll be a meaningful conversation out of it. But for those that were there, it didn't happen. Yeah. Can Matt be asked what he thought of the night when he found out Mike was no longer on the stadium board? Yeah. That's I mean, Mike Goodyear. Mike Goodyear, that is. Yeah, yeah, Mike so Goodyear, I, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can't comment as to what happened in the, in the board meeting, society board meeting. Again, I'm not part of the society board, so not my place. All I can say is I've worked with Mike for over a year. He was the best person I dealt with, frankly, um, in terms of honesty, calm, experience, skills, widely respected by all the public bodies. So the council, the police, the fire, you know, you name it. The minute I dropped the name Mike Goodyear in a conversation, everybody nodded. Oh, that's very good. Very good. He knew more about the stadium and how you deliver capital expenditure projects than, than anybody far more than me. So it seemed an odd decision that the first act of the new board was to was to remove him. I did query it at the time. I said, you, you know, you're sure this is this is what you want to do? And I was told yes. So as the remaining director of that company, I, I removed Mike and I put Marcel, John, Darren and Ian on the board um, because that was what I was told to do. And as I say, we have very limited powers, so we do the things that we're instructed, instructed to do. But it's a shame because, like I say, I think Mike's Mike's a top guy, uh, and he worked incredibly hard last year. We, we wouldn't we wouldn't have got the games started at the beginning of the season without Mike. There's no de- debate about that, and uh, you know it's not just Mike. Don't get me wrong; lots of other people. Dan Bowerbank, you know, doesn't like me. I know, as people have told me, but he did a huge amount when we took over the stadium back in 2022. First few months, massive amount of work, incredible. And there's been lots of other people along the way. I've, I mentioned John, Jamie before, but all the volunteers, Dave Cheshire, Anna, all sorts. There's loads of people that have done, you know, loads. But and Mike was for me the best person I dealt with because of his expertise. If you've got something to kind of sum it up tonight. A message that you'd like to leave supporters to board. Is there anything that you'd like to kind of leave tonight on? The biggest one for supporters is is to is to join join the support society. Is to vote. Is to actually become become a member and have a say. Sitting on social media and you know shouting into the void or going in the pub and and, and spouting off after a couple of beers. It might make you feel good. I don't know. Um, but. It doesn't change anything. The way you change things is, is to actually vote vote in the democratic processes. Think about who you want on the board in the future um, that you think will represent you, that has skills and, and expertise and, and wants to unite the football club. That's where I'd focus. I think I'm being clear we're vehemently against this lease um, and we'll be doing everything we can to, to stop it. I would hope that's a consensual conversation with the board i will keep trying but we'll see what they what they do next
Saturday, it brings us back to the game that never was, which was Glossop. You know what? I hate that expression, the game that never was, because yeah. it will always be in my mind. Do you know what I mean? That was our first game, wasn't it? But yeah, uh, fingers crossed we can uh, reclaim those three points. Yeah, and my prediction, I'm going to go 5-1. I'm going to say we're going to do them again. Ooh, same I'm going to say 3-1, 3-1 this time. Yeah. Who's going to be goal scorers? Oh, I'm going to say... Benito Low. I'm going to say Deck, and I'm going to say Burns. One each. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Briggs is back actually, and if Burns has done enough to keep his spot because he didn't play, did he? Briggs. No. Just, he had some heavy strapping on his ankle um, yeah. on the plane, but he still travelled. So fair play to him. Yeah, and Top and every one of them, like there were lads on that plane, even the first plane. I know Doyle didn't travel on the Sunday, but. He travelled on the Saturday and obviously he was suspended. I love their team ethic, you know, and what Dave McNabb sort of instilled in them, you know, brilliant. Yeah, I, th- I think I think everybody loves Dave McNabb, doesn't <laughs> yeah. Obviously, at the beginning, there was that whole change of Andy Welsh and few people were against it. But I think now there's absolutely no question about him, is there, that the club comes first and... Oh, completely, yeah. yeah he's, he's a top bloke. And also just, I mean, clearly we're without Doyle now for, you know, another couple of games, aren't we? But I think we've got a really solid midfield now, really solid defence. I think Harry Wright's brilliant. We just seem like a team that's destined to go places. I don't, I don't think there's a weak link now, is there? I think we've, no. we're very no. solid, which is great to see. And I think I've said it all along. I've- you know, I can't see us not winning the league, to be honest. But I know. I never thought we'd get to be able to say that confidently, but we're in a lovely place now, aren't we? Yeah, and I, and I think those lads just kind of need on. to carry on doing what they're doing, don't they? Absolutely. And that's it for another episode of the Mighty Shakers podcast. Thank you very much for listening. A massive thank you to Matt Barker and Kate Hall for joining us tonight. Thanks very much and see you soon. Bye.